Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 48 with Clayton Weller. Brett Love sent me an email a few weeks ago saying that he thought Clayton would be a great guest on the podcast. And Brett Love, you were right. It was an absolute pleasure to have Clayton on the podcast. We're talking about uh, the Pocket Theater that's in Greenwood, and more specifically, the November Fringe Explosion, where you can see a bunch of great theater in the month of November. Uh, you art what you eat. Infinite Expectation of the Dawn, Cage Birds, uh, Dragon Lady, Sarah Pokerlob's show, When Irish Eyes Are Flirting and Normal is Boring, excuse me, Uncle Seagull, that's the Libertini's show, Love Story, there's a bunch of stuff, oh, and Sup Fool, which is, well, you'll hear about it in the podcast. Anyway, go to thepocket.org and also facebook.com slash pocket theater to get more information and go see some theater in November and all the time because theater is awesome. Anyway, enjoy episode 48 with Clayton Weller. I'm very excited to welcome Clayton Weller to the podcast, the founder of the Pocket Theater. Welcome! Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. So I hear that there's going to be an explosion of <laughs> fringe shows happening at the Pocket in November, and I want to hear all about it. Okay, great. I will tell you all about it. So um, uh, the Pocket as an institution is built around uh, kind of being like a timeshare for different communities. Um, and when we have a community that is like there on the regular, like the fringe theater community, um, we do a theme month where we just do nothing but that the whole month and we bring people together and we have like cross promotion in between shows and all that stuff. Um, so basically the fringe explosion is we just <laughs> put a call out to, um, the producers who had either worked with us before or that we knew through people in our artistic board who were like, oh, these guys are good. Right. Um, and they dropped in and they were like, "Let's." I have this crazy show that I've been wanting to do. I haven't been able to find a venue. And so we're footing the bill on, on the venue fees and uh, we're getting them up and doing shows. Um, that's amazing. Can oh, you give us a taste you. of some of the artists that yeah. are going to be performing? So, okay, one of the shows that I'm really excited for is Chris Shea's show, <laughs> which is Sup Fool. Um, he's taken, uh, he's, he's gone in, found the, the like text from Fools in Shakespeare plays, chopped it all up, and made an entirely new Shakespeare play. Um, it's called Sup, Sup Fool? Am I yeah, saying it yeah, right? Yeah, Sup like Fool. Not, like... it, the, the image for it is... Mr. T's body with um, with uh, William Shakespeare's head. <laughs> so, it's, and is it a one person show? Or it's a it's a many person show. I think Lisa Vertel is in it. Who I I I worked on one of my very first shows at Annex Theater with Lisa Vertel. Um, so I'm super excited to have her at my theater. She's like one of my favorite actresses. <laughs> uh, and uh, a guy who was in my graduating class at uh, University of Puget Sound, Tom Dewey, is the fight choreographer. So I'm just so amped about it's this show. Connected, man. yeah, man. Seattle—it's the biggest, the littlest big pond, or the biggest little pond <laughs> in, in the country. I've not heard it referred to that way, but that makes that is totally apt. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? Uh, we got a drag show. Uh, Craig, awesome. Craig Trolley is doing totally solid gold, and so they do drag on Capitol Hill all the time, and they're going to come out and do a crazy drag review at the pocket. Um, what else? Uh, so one of the communities that happens uh, that does a lot of work at the pocket is the sketch comedy community. We're kind of like right. the only place that does it like a lot. Um, and Bailey Freeman, who's from a group called Drop Your Beer Run, she was like, there are some amazing female actresses in the sketch community. What if I just brought them all together and did a crazy surrealist drama? Uh, <laughs> it's called Cage Birds. Um, so there are, are ladies from all these different sketch groups. It's an all-women cast, um, and it's it's about being, these women being trapped, and they're all different, like, kind of portions of each other's minds and stuff. It's really cool. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. And so people can get information at po- 
thepocket.org. That's correct. Thepocket.org. How, how many shows are going up in November? Uh, 11, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And uh, can people see more than one show in one night? They can. So on uh, Fridays and Saturdays, The Pocket always does three shows a night. Um, we're doing uh, 7, 8, 30, and 10. Uh, okay. And there are so many shows this, this month. Uh, in, in November that we actually had to add in a couple of nights where we have the, an 11.30 slot. So there's wow. going to be like four shows <laughs> in an evening, which is insane. Um, speaking of which, the Libertinis, how could I not talk I about the, li- the Libertinis? Libertinis are doing a show called Uncle Chekhov. I'm so stoked for this. It's going to be... I mean, but, no, talk that, about it. Talk more because you know that, more about it than I. I, I mean... I, it's Everything. like burlesque and Chekhov, right? Yeah, I don't know if they're doing burlesque for sure because they're pushing right. more into like being a right. sexy as opposed to <laughs> naked group. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the thing that <laughs> that was just brilliant. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, they're also sponsors of the pocket, which is radical. Um, anyway, uh, their show is a reimagining of uh, the Seagull and other Chekhov plays, like taken down and obviously it will be hilarious because they're hilarious people and the writing will be fantastic so that's happening uh two weekends and if you want to see it late late night you can if you want to see it normal 10 o'clock you can and if you want to see it sunday at 8 30 you totally can so it's gonna be great. come and see everything people yeah it's gonna be good so you can come see more than one show a night it's the kind of thing where you get out from a show and then you'd have a couple minutes and then you go back into the next one um uh, yeah, so. Where would you recommend people grabbing a drink or a bite before? Like, if you're curating their pocket experience. Oh, okay. It depends upon what you like. Okay. Uh, there's some, Lay it there, on me. In the, past, uh, in the past year since we've been there in Greenwood, there have been a ton of restaurants that have popped up. Like, it was, there were all these empty storefronts. We were, right. like, we were on the front end of this kind of, like, filling up, which is cool. Um... Uh, if you like sandwiches, munch is great. So if you just want a quick sandwich. Uh, if you're looking for um, uh, just like a more kind of like diner kind of meal, uh, the Naked, Siri, uh, Naked City Brewery is fantastic. Okay. I recommend their jerky bits. <laughs> They're really good. Um, if you're looking for really authentic Mexican food, there's some of the best Mexican food anywhere in Seattle at La Conasupa. Okay. The front of it looks like this like Mexican tienda like corner store, and then you go in the back, and they have this really authentic Tex-Mex food. Um, it's cheesy and wonderful. Um, and then uh, there's a great uh, hot dog place across the street. That's what you're into. Okay. Oh, also Wing Dome, which is down the street. It's a wonderful sports bar slash. They have wings and stuff, so <laughs> it's good. So you can make a night of it. Yeah. Everyone, come yeah. on. And there's tons of bars in the area, so. Like, that's something that we have in, in, in spades. What are some of your favorite bars? I like, I like the Yard. It's right across the street. Um, also, another University of Puget Sound alum runs it. I haven't met him yet, but it's, it's <laughs> pride, I guess. Um, uh, the House offers a discount. So they're a little bit north of us. And okay. they offer a, I think, 10 or 15% discount to anyone who says they came from the pocket. On everything. Awesome. They're rad. Um, and then the Baranoff has karaoke like every night that we do shows. So if you like karaoke, the Baranoff is awesome. I love karaoke. So I'm already, I'm taking notes and planning uh, when I'm going to go see cool. the Libertinis. Yeah, definitely. Libertinis. So good. Let's di- I want to dig into the history of you as an artist okay. and how you came to create this really dynamic, thriving space for artists. So let's take it way back. Okay. <laughs> when did you first develop a love for perform? Are you a performer? I am I don't, a performer. This is like, yeah. I know nothing yeah. about you, so nice this is really you, great. Katie. <laughs> Katie Woodsick, everybody. <laughs> but a performer, acting, yeah. yes? Yeah, um... Uh, I do do comedy is mostly what I do at okay. this point. Um, uh, so I do sketch comedy. And I would say now I lean more toward writer, director, facilitator sure. of stuff. Um, but I get up on the stage whenever I can, you know. Um, uh, I, I fell in love with live performance. Uh, I'm from Colorado okay. originally, Golden, Colorado. 
the bustling mecca of art. Um, the only theater that was in Golden was called it's called the Opera House. Okay. And it was in this uh, kind of like refurbished um, uh, town called Heritage Square. So it looked like an old pioneer town, but gussied up, and there were all these like novelty shops sure. in there. And in Heritage Square, they had this opera house, and they did vaudevillian musical reviews, um, uh, uh, like melodramas. So, like, I grew up watching melodrama musical reviews with ragtime piano, and so I was like, yes, please, I would love to do this. Um, and how much that influences, influences us as artists, right? Yeah. Like, that happened to be there, right? And yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, yeah shapes you yeah, like further totally down the road did. okay yeah. alright ragtime review vaudevillian <laughs> got it <laughs> my stuff um and uh after that I did speech and debate in high school and then I was just hooked I there were two ways that I could have gone I was like either I'm gonna be like an engineer <laughs> or I'm gonna be I'm gonna do something in the theater right like right. like do something performance based um and I went to college and so I have a physics and I have a theater degree what? Yeah, I've got a double degree. It's That's like, amazing. They really overlap. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah, it's cross-pollination yeah. between the two fields. Um, uh, so I talk to tech people really well. That's basically what, I, that's what I've got going yes. on. The babblefish, um, right? That's the thing from Hitchhiker's Guide, right? That you put in your ear to learn. Yeah. So you're like the babblefish, like artists to tech people. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I, um, I found that I was like, I, I like, I love both of them. Like, I love like physics and kind of building stuff and working on things, designing things. Um, and I love the, the more mushy side of life, you yeah. know, like that kind of like stuff. But I found that what I was spending my free time doing, like all my free time was theater. So it's like, I should probably do this because I do it for free anyway. So why not like make that my life, you know? Yeah. That's an awesome, I mean, I feel like a lot of, a lot of us creative types uh, think those thoughts, but then don't put them into action. Mm -hmm. And so, kudos for like making shit happen. Yeah. So, when did the idea for creating the space come to you, and how did you put that into action? So, I was working um, in the tech industry. Um, I started my own business called Freaking Genius. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is good. Uh, with a couple of kind of people who who were on either their second or third like startup businesses that they've done. Um, and I learned a whole lot about running businesses and how to think about constructing businesses. Um, and, uh, also fundraising, like yep. I, I learned about that. We raised like half a million dollars in financing for the company, which is like an insane amount of money in the art world, right? Like that's like we but could for be, a startup. That's like pretty. Yeah, that was like streamlined. that was meager, yes. right? Um, so I, I learned how to do that stuff, and the originally the business was I was kind of like the the relation like I was working with creative people, and we were we were making like animation software. Like, to make animation easier okay. for creative people. And so I was like, oh, this is like, I know these people. I can hook them up. And, right. like, this is kind of cool thing. And we were doing, like, kind of high concepty kind of stuff. Uh, and then the business slowly started turning into uh, an iPhone app for tweens. And I was like... I'm Sorry, that sounds horrible. Like, it, I had a visceral reaction. And, yeah. like, disgust, a la Liz Lemon a little bit. Yeah. But, okay. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, so I was, I, I was a marketing guy for an iPhone app for tweens. Um, I was working like 60, 60 hours a week or something like that. You looked was, in the mirror one day and you're like, mm. no, this is not where I need to be. Um, but the money was good, but I was like, you know what, I, you guys go do what you want to do. Like, that's fine. I still believe in what you're doing, that kind of stuff, but I'm not the right guy anymore. Um, and so I just, I was like, who do I care about? I care about theater makers, specifically people in Seattle, specifically people who are trying to produce new and weird stuff. And I wound up going out and meeting with um, uh, probably 70 people. I'm just like, what do you want? What do you need? Uh, I had a list of things that I was thinking about, but mostly it was just like listening. And I was like, what do you, what do you want? Which is the thing that I learned from my business. We did very little listening early on. 
And it was the thing wow. that I was like, this is what we should be doing. It's like figuring out who our customer is and listening to them and making sure they get what they want, right? Like, um, anyway, I went out and chatted with them and they basically described the pocket to me. I did have, like, before this, before I, like, pulled the cord and went and started doing this, I had this, uh, I had a moment where I was laying in bed and I was having one of those nights where I was just like, oh, I guess I'll just crunch some numbers in my head before I go to sleep because physics major, right? Sure. Like, <laughs> uh, I was like, what if, is it, what if, is it even possible to have a theater that m- makes money, right? Like, is it, is it possible for it not to be just a drain? Um, right. And I was like, what if you did more shows? And what if it was a different way? Instead of percentage cuts or rentals, what if it was kind of like a co-production kind of model? And then I just started like crunching the numbers in my head. And I had one of these kind of like, oh my God, got to get up at like two in the morning. got to do it. i got to make a spreadsheet. And like my girlfriend was like, what are you doing? I was just going back to bed. And I was like, no, I have to make a spreadsheet. So I like, but and I like right. pounded out a spreadsheet. I'm like, it could work. It could work. She's like, why are you? Shut up. Like I'm trying to like go, go into the other room. It's like the reverse of the producers, right? right? That right. plot of you can make more money with a flop than with a hit. Yeah. The other way. Yeah. This is make, make enough money with enough shows is the model. But I did that, and I talked to people, and they described the pocket. Um, we And after they did it, I was like, if I ran a Kickstarter, would you go in on it? Is the kind of thing you do, like, at the end of every meeting. And at the beginning, it was like, yeah, sure. And by the end of it, it was like, yes, do it. Do the Kickstarter. And I was like, this is when I should do it. Um, so I ran a Kickstarter. We are shooting for $8,000 um, on top of, like, my savings to put in on the project. Um, and then uh, we wound up making almost third, which was radical. Wow. Yeah. And that really speaks to the need for, I mean, when you were listening to those 70 people, sometimes the, a rental fee can be prohibitive to mm-hmm. getting new work yeah. out in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, that's the thing that I was seeing is, uh, and, and I was feeling, because I was produced, like I produced at like every little venue in town almost. Um, uh, the thing that I was noticing was that people were making the safe play because they had to make their money back or right. like they couldn't take risks on truly weird stuff or like the actual dream show that they were thinking about doing, they would change that to be a thing that looked more like what they'd already done before as opposed to the thing what they actually wanted to do. Um, uh, and the thing that I, like that was, a, that was kind of a gamble is like, will these people's shows work right and what's turning out is the safer the show is at the pocket the less well it does so like weirder more unique like crazy like out there ideas do great they crush it they bring in new audiences different audiences the audiences are more excited um as opposed to, I want to do a night of monologues by Neil Simon. Right, right. Or even like, I want to do the show that I've already done. You know, like okay. repeat runs don't do well. Um, but if someone's coming in, like one of the most successful shows that we had, I think, in this kind of thing was uh, early on when we were running the Kickstarter. This comedian like came to me out of the blue. His name is Jim Stewart Allen. And he's like, I love Oregon Trail 2. I love it. Um, I know I have a strategy guide for it and it's falling apart because I play this game so much. Um, I know all about history. I'm a history major. I want to play Oregon Trail 2 in front of an audience. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm sold. Yes, let's do it. Um, And that show was great. He had a wonderful audience. People loved it. Like, and it was the kind of thing like you would never go like, to, I don't know, the rap and see right. like someone playing Oregon Trail on the stage. But it was like super successful. Um, or someone else did all five seasons of Breaking Bad condensed into an hour, like in a parody version. It was incredible. Um, uh, yeah, so stuff like that is what really like blows it up. Like Those are the things that are super successful. What are some of the highlights that... So how long has this been... It's two or three years this one? Um, we have been in our space for a, a, a year and three months. Okay. So our permanent space for a year and three months. Uh, and we've been producing shows for almost two years. Um, 
yeah, so it, th- that's kind of how long it's been going. <laughs> yeah. Great fact-checking, Woodzik. Yeah, it's good. No, to herself. no, it's good. Uh, what have been some <laughs> of the other other highlights for you? Just sort of, if there was the you know highlight reel at the Oscars or whatever, would you kind of pull out? Um, the real, the real thing that gets me. Um, I mean, the show, the shows are more often than not great. Like they're good. We we have very few duds because we have a screening process that like make sure that people are there and we give support to the performers and kind of like their show concepts and stuff like that. So um, the shows tend to be at a certain level of quality. The thing that has been, that was like my dream and what has started to actually happen is that we're seeing a lot of cross-pollination in between communities that were kind of siloed before. So like sketch comedians are now in Fringe Month and... We're seeing, uh, like, monologists do stuff on improv shows, and people are branching out of what what they would normally be doing right. and interacting with each other, which was something that I was always, like, frustrated with when it, it, about Seattle. You know, it's, it's wonderful that we have all these cool niche communities, but I just wish that they talked more, right? Like, because we all have audiences and we all have philosophies that we can help each other out with and that's actually started happening which is great so we'll have people like so the libertinis are hanging out with um princess who is this uh really dirty all-male sketch comedy group um and they're like best buds and they're gonna do something um and they wouldn't have met if it weren't for the pocket which is delightful to me yeah yeah and also just like lots of weird new stuff is happening all the time. I don't know. Can you talk me talk us through the process of <clears throat> both from someone who's applying to mm. perform there and then also from your side of, of selecting the shows that get through? Great. Um, so our process is um, uh, I sit down and have a meeting with uh, someone who wants to do a show. And I will literally, if anyone ever says that they want to talk to me, I will always say yes. I'm always down for new things. always worth the risk. It's like, it's just chatting, right? And that's my favorite part. So I sit down and I talk with someone. I tell them how we operate, like what we offer and what we expect from people. Um, and then we kind of sit down and they, they tell me about their show and we work together and figure it out. Um, and then after that, if we're both happy and still excited about working together... Uh, I take um, their show to our artistic board, which is in between... uh, I I think there are 30 people on it right now, um, but usually somewhere in between 10 and 20 show up to the monthly board meetings. Um, And at those meetings, I uh, pitch shows that have been pitched to me. Like, so like, here's this. And then I talk about them. Like, I think this is how they fit into the thing. And this is, these are the points where I could use some, some insight and that kind of thing. And we chat about the show. Um, and then we usually approve it because I don't usually take shows to the board that I don't think they'll like, because right. that's a bummer. That's a bummer conversation on all ends. Cause I'm like, how about this show? And they're like, Oh no, no, no. And then I go to the performer and I'm like, Oh, they said no, <laughs> you know, like, so usually they say yes. And if it's not, yes, it's like, yes, but please talk to them about this, solve this problem, figure this out. Um, even if it is a no, it's producers are so valuable. Um, I think to our community that, I don't like giving up on them. I will be like, it's a no, but here's why. And if you can address these things, I'll repitch you. You know, like, we can do this again. We'll figure it out. Or if you come with a different show or um, at the very least, I'll send them off and hook them up with a venue that I know will want them. Um, Because some people aren't the right fit. Um, So, like, yeah, that's kind of the process from... From my perspective, um, like people are taking big risks when, whenever they're thinking about putting up a show, whether or not they're paying a rental fee or anything. There's a big emotional risk. There's a big personal risk, and I like to honor that by m- trying my hardest to make sure that something happens for this person. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my perspective. <laughs> like that's yeah. I'm getting emotional over oh, here. Oh gosh, a little bit, a little bit. That's. <clears throat> so badass. 
So, if someone gets through the approval process, as mm-hmm. it sounds like they often do, yeah. what's next? you give them some dates? On the calendar? Or? So usually part of the, the pitch process is I'll ask, what kind of run are you looking at? Is it a um, one? Do you do as, as, as minimal as just a one night? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that the way that our model is set up, um, we, we operate on a cap system with our tickets. So the pocket recoups costs for the first 20 tickets. That pays for uh, administration and for the people to be there that night running tech and, uh, the bar and all the operational costs of the theater. Um, and then past that we pay out $10 a ticket. So that's pretty much the entire ticket cost. Um, so if a show sells really well, we pay them and they get a good cut. If their show doesn't do well, then we're like, Hey, it's a learning experience. You know, we took the risk and that's part of what we do. Um, the, the ramifications of this model mean that financially it's always better to squeeze your show into a smaller run at the pocket. So especially from the artist perspective because if you let's say have 60 audience members total and you do one show, you're making $40 if we do overflow, right? Like so or not 40, $400. <laughs> not 40, 40 would not be great. <laughs> That'd be a dollar <laughs> per ticket. Um uh, you're making $400 on the night, which is a good split, right? Um, if you do that to two nights, then 20 of those are going to be ch- chunked up by us, and that's 200 And then if you do three nights, then it's $0, right? Um, so it all it's always in the artist's incentive monetarily to do a shorter run at the pocket. Um, some people, they just want to do more performances, and then I just make sure that that's up, up front, that they know. It's like, right. you, you'll be making less money by doing this. Know that that will happen. Um, uh, but typically, the kind of runs that we see are two to four. Um, we kind of like push in that direction. That four is when it starts getting risky for us if the show bails. Um, like That's like a struggling month if we have that happen to us. Um, uh, two is uh, like easily like it's like yeah you can figure that out like I believe that if someone really cares about the show they can get 20 30 people to come which is when we are on at sustainability is 15 people per right. show um, really low bar <laughs> right um, anyway your question was uh, next steps so right. typically I get like a, an idea of what the run will be before and then the board might say hey they're biting off more than they can chew. I know them. Or uh, we should give them more days. Like, let's figure out how we get, get them more and see if they're okay with taking a bigger risk. Um, and then I get back to them. I say, hey, how about these days? Boom, 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 boom. These are the holes that I've got. Usually I book three to six months out. That's usually my window. Sure. I like to keep it close because a lot of weird shows are kind of like impulse things as opposed to like a thing that you're planning six months in advance. <laughs> um so about three to six months is my booking window. Um, and then once I get them on the calendar, uh, we basically just run them through. I have a kind of set work backwards calendar on any show, and I send them out when I need particular materials. So like, hey, I need uh, an image by this point. Please send me an image. Fill out your copy. Your event is up. Then you've got like a month and a half to market it, yada, yada, yada. What, and just in terms of the marketing, mm-hmm. I'm assuming some pers- percentage of your audience members are coming back to see are in the neighborhood maybe or just mm-hmm. like the brand and are coming back no bit, matter what a little bit yeah the, and we're getting more that, that's building steam um, they go see the shows that are already popular like ah. they, they like it's not this is a thing that I wish I could offer because it would make us a killer business <laughs> is if I could take a show and I marketed it for them like, like I did all the work and then an audience came out because then I'd make money. But it simply doesn't work that way. Um, we do general marketing for the pocket as a whole. Um, and that causes people to come in to the shows that are already bumping. So, like, the Libertinis are going to get extra people. They're going to get the regulars. Or um, probably uh, Cage Birds will as well, as I mentioned. Um, it's... Typically what we see is that people who invest in the pocket as an institution and do multiple shows over the course of like a year um, tend to get our repeat audience. Right. Um, just because they're there enough that the, the people who are there all the time hear about them more than once. And they're like, oh, I've heard about them. I'll go see them. Um, yeah. 
And then a lot of it is just the producers themselves. Yeah. Who you know, who's in the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, our bar is low. And if you're doing weird new stuff, the only people that are going to come see it are your friends and your family. And if you already have fans for your company, you know, like, those are the people that are coming. If you're doing something completely new, you're not going to get some Joe Schmo off the street with a poster, you know? Like, that's simply not going to happen. But we're an incubator space where you do the weird stuff, you try it out, you figure out if it's a thing you want to do, and then we hook you up with larger venues. So, like... Oh, so there is... You can give them recommendations. Yeah, recommendations. Now good. this is where you Because, like, I'm, I'm friends with all the venue managers around town, or I've worked with them directly, and I could be like, you know me, I've been good to you. Like, this group pulls. They're too big for my venue now. You should have them. Your bar will do great. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Um, or uh, if people are interested in taking their show on the road, we're a perfect place to workshop stuff. Um, we, all of our shows, we, we focus on shows that are under an hour, which makes you perfect for fringe festivals uh, or any kind of festival, actually. Um, and it, since we have, we run our, our thing with like low to like low tech, um, and no sets, um, it means that we're making suitcase shows by the handful. So if people want to take a show on the road, we basically create those. And we have, con- I have connections at a lot of different festivals from my work as, uh, the artistic director of Sketchfest. Um, it was the annual sketch comedy festival just happened. I would say go, but it's like a year away now. Um, um, but we have lots of connections uh, with other festivals and people who have toured or people who like to help people who tour. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we go. It's like developing new work and pushing it out is our idea. So the hub for all this information, because hopefully people are listening to this and they have a kernel of an idea and they're getting inspired, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> can't see you, can't hear you right now. Um, they want to go to the pocket.org. Is there a mailing list they can get on? Um, there is. We use it very infrequently. The best okay. place to check about, like, kind of what's going on is Facebook. Okay. So, like us on Facebook, and we put all of our events up there. Um, yeah. The, it's been a, a learning journey for me as to what, like, marketing things actually work. Because I get to test it over a bunch of shows as opposed to, like, one show every couple months. Can you share any insights from that? Um, uh, if Coca-Cola does it, it's not going to work for you. <laughs> Okay. So Coca-Cola has a billboard. It's not going to work for your show, right. right? Like if you were doing like a like an 8-week run at a 100-seat theater, maybe some of what Coca-Cola does will work for you. But the reality is uh, it's all word of mouth in Seattle. Like it, that's all that works. Like you got to build a buzz about your show. You got to go out and you got to invite people one at a time. Like, you got to be like, I want you to come to my show. Come to my show, Katie Woodsick. Here, I'll do this right now. I am doing a show. I'm going to be on stage for the first time in nine months or something like that, like, as, as a performer. Uh, and I'm doing a show called Clayton Weller's Trust Fall. And I basically asked uh, 15 people to come up with an idea that they'll make me do uh, in a variety show style format. So, and will you know the idea? Yeah. So they, they <laughs> pitch up. Some okay. of them are giving me like, here's, I'm going to do a crazy thing. And are you okay with being in only your boxers? And I'm like, okay, yeah, yes. I'm trust, trust fall guy. You're going to make me look good, Anthony. Okay. Um, but the things that I'm doing are insane. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm someone, Alex Grendeland, who runs comedy sports is going to teach me how to deadlift. Uh, uh, the guy who runs our weekly improv show uh, is going to, we're going to do a political debate on the topic of the audience choice while also having a pie eating contest. Okay. Simultaneously. Um, I'm also going to, uh, someone, Caitlin Obum from a sketch comedy group is going to uh, uh, help me. We're going to. She has. A, she collects grimoires. This is what I'm trying to say. Like these spell books, these ancient spell books. And she knows we're going to do a spell on stage. And so, like, I'm doing all this stuff. So, okay. Katie, would you come see my show? Absolutely. I will let you know when it is. So Fantastic. on December 10th, 
I look forward to getting more information. Yeah, and I'll send you a personal email later letting you know about it, and I would love it if you would come, because you're now a new friend of mine. You are, I, what time is it on that day? It is at 7. Will that work? It might not work. I'm going to be performing at Adam's Family, the musical, at that exact same time, but... On, on Thursday? On Thursday? I'll have a pickup rehearsal. Huh? I'll have a pickup rehearsal. That's totally fine. I, and this I is part like, of but, the way it goes. But, yeah. but hypothetically, if I were free, yeah. that was so enthusiastic and personal that I... And now I'm kicking myself that I can't see Right? It. And it's okay. And I mean, that's part of the process. We're really is like, drilling that down to a personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's like a hierarchy that you go through. Uh, of, like, the things that will actually work to the things that will never work. Uh, at the top is in-person, like, face-to-face invite. Like, talk about your show. Tell them why you specifically want them to come. Right. Uh, and then tell them how to do it if they want to. And be okay if they say no. Right? Because a lot of people have to say no sometimes. But you'll get a higher percentage there. Next would be a phone call. Call your friends, people. Like, give them a call. Chat with them. You want to talk to them. Your friend. You know? Like, like talk to them. Um, those, that works well. Then a personal email. And by that, I mean a thing where you mentioned them specifically about a thing that only you two could know. Clayton, but, I loved your hat the other day. Yeah. Wanted to tell you yeah, about no, that's the like, Adams family. I would totally go, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. You at right. least reach out to me. So it's not a blanket. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any Anything that's like bulk. Seattleites are like, I'm cool with that. Because <laughs> like, we all have a friend who's... In a show every night of the week, right? right? So when are we ever gonna go see a show that we don't have a friend in? You know, like why would you do that? Because <laughs> especially if you don't know anything about it, right? Like if it's a thing that's untested or you haven't you haven't heard anything about. Like I could either go to a show that I haven't heard anything about that my friend is in, or I could go to a show that I haven't heard anything about that I don't know anything about. Like no one's in it. And at least if I go to this, and like sometimes it's a bad show. But at least you supported your friend. You know, right. like, at least you had that. So, and, and people in Seattle have too many shows to go see. So you have to, like, it's got to be personal. It's got to be that kind of stuff. Um, there's a point at which, if you do that enough, you'll build up. Like, if you're nice to your friends and you put on good shows and you, you, you make sure that they have a good time every time they come and they know that they're important, they'll start telling other people about you. Right? right, and that's when you get these people that you've never met before at your show, um, and then you then you're nice to those people, and they become your friends, and then you're like, now I invite that person too, you know, <laughs> right? Or they'll hear about it. It's kind of like the the buzz engine, but it all starts from your friends and family. Like that's that's where it is. Community theater, like that's we have to stop poo pooing community theater. Thank well. you. Yeah, it's all community, right? Theater. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that. That's a pet peeve of mine, is, like, really judging each show or experiencing each show for what it is. Yeah. Because I've seen things at bigger houses that have really disappointed me. I've seen things with high schoolers that I've been... That was actually pretty good. ...blown away by. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah, we had some some high schoolers do Waiting for Godot. At our Are theater, you yeah, they were do it. They were reading about it in class, wow. and then they went and saw it. I think it was when it was at, at sure. act. Sure. Uh, and then they were like, "Why don't we just do this?" And then they came to me and they're like, "We want to do waiting for Godot." And I was like, you, "Yes, yes, we're gonna do this." And it was awesome. It was like actually did entertaining. They, did they get their friends in the door? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. High schoolers have no problem with this. They're like, they know it's special. They want to have fun. They're out there. They're not too cool for school, which is crazy because they're in school, right? So, would you say another part of um, I've heard this, and I think I think it's true a little bit is going out to see other people's shows, not just you know yeah. being supporting other people's work and yeah. having that sort of I think theatrical karma yeah, come back around. A definitely, little bit. that's a big part of it. Um, I think it's caring about people is where that the core of that is. Like, you should care about this other production that's happening across town. Like, I almost never get to go see shows, like, because I'm always at my own theater running shows. Right. But I I love, like, helping other people out on their shows, even if they're not at the venue. Right? So, like, if they need to do a reading or something, I, like, try and find them a space. Or so that I can go see it. Or if, like, here's a a plug. Uh, We're an awesome with M.M. Montgomery. Yeah. Do you know that show? Yeah. It is incredible. Yeah. And it is a place where I send everyone to. You know, like, that's 
that's the thing. Going and seeing a show yourself is great, but if you can send someone who that person doesn't know to a show, like that's the best thing that I think you can do for another production. It's like vouching for other people's work is one of the best things that you can possibly do. And we don't do enough of that in Seattle, I don't think. Yeah, I'm really heartened by this whole conversation because personally I've been experiencing some folks who have pretty set boundaries of like, I'm looking out for myself. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it's great to hear someone who's really, who really believes in generosity of spirit yeah. artistically and who has seen that pay off. Yeah, it totally pays off. I mean, the, the people that I see with the most success consistently, at least, at least at the pocket, um, are the ones who are the most willing to kind of like give themselves to other people. So, like, the Libertinis are a fantastic example of this because they'll come in and they, like, buy a gift for the people running the venue. Like, for the person at the bar, they, like, buy them a a snack or something. And they give them a hug and they say, thank you so much. And they're, like, make sure that they have everything that they need. And then they also do this with every single audience member. They're just, like, delightful with them every single time. They go see shows. They get involved with other things. And consequently, everyone loves them right like and they're adored and you feel like you should go see their show because they are nice i mean the thing that i run into at the pocket is we have so many like wonderful shows like they're good shows that are happening all the time and they're weird and unique and they like they're like a flash in the pan where did it go kind of thing very special um and i can't talk about them all it's like it's impossible um but the thing that kind of sticks with me are the the people who are really nice. And they're the people I want to work with. And they're the people who the person at the bar will say, hey, you had a great time at the show. I can tell you should go see this thing, you know? And it's, it's an immediate payoff, right? And then the people who are, like, coming in being like, well, I expected more. And, like, they're mean to their audience and all that stuff. Or they're mean to the other performers. They leave messes and stuff like that they don't do great. <laughs> like the audiences are small because they're jerks, you know, like, there's no other way to put it. You know, I think, I feel like the, 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 the slogan for this podcast is like, don't be a jerk. Try weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love that. That's great. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I, this is, I I feel like I've been talking a lot. I want to know about you, Katie. Oh my gosh, the tables have been turned. Yeah. Sure, what do you want to know? Um, what, what, what kind of stuff do you do? What, what, what gets you going? (sighs) I really enjoy doing this podcast. I'm, I'm. How long have you been doing it? Like six months. Six months? Six months. I think this will be the 48th or 49th episode and almost 4,000 listens and just, again, what you've been saying, the living on Whidbey Island, but coming in to do mm-hmm. occasionally acting shows in Seattle, uh, but wanting to be more a part of the community and how this is really, people are amazing and you sit down with them and you talk to them for an hour mm-hmm. and how then they invite you to other things mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, other relationships happen and yeah, yeah, yeah. being able to, I, I went to see a industry night of Knockingbird a couple weeks ago and my friend uh, Olina is up she she just finished a year at her degree at um southern oregon university and she did the apprenticeship year at osf and she's done circle in the square and right she's just trying to get into the she's community into right it. and so she came with me and i knew like 10 people there and i was able to introduce her around and be like this is someone new that you should isn't that know. satisfying where I you're was, like, I'm like it's like this so like theater cool. matchmaking isn't that like i live for that moment I right like, i'm so <laughs> And, and, but not really being able to, it was only seeing it through her eyes that I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I know people, I know things that are going on. Like, yeah. I can make people meet each other. And I'm making very awkward hand gestures. No, which it's you good. Listeners they're, can't they're, appreciate. they're really good. Um, it's kind of like making a pizza dough. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been binge watching 30 Rock. For like the fourth or fifth time, and Good. when Liz Lemon is like, "You're gonna do some of this with your girlfriend?" <laughs> it's like that's sex for you. It is the way I do it. Um, it's touching butts. I just, I she just, and Tina from Bob's Burgers <laughs> are like the same person. Tina is like a young Liz Lemon. Right. Well, no, I was just. Uh, I just connected that because of your right. butt touching hand gesture. Thank you. Uh, well, I just, I just, I just changed. 
I just changed all the fields in my online dating profile to either Liz Lemon quotes or like when they ask you about what you like. Um, it's like all things that live like night cheese, mashed potatoes, and martini glasses. <laughs> like this will draw the right person to me. And I've also decided for Halloween that I'm going to be. I'm going to be Liz Lemon, but I have this really cool Bride of Frankenstein wig, so I'm, like, going to be Liz Lemon as the Bride of Frankenstein if she didn't marry the monster. So, like, that's how my brain works a That's little great. Bit. That's a good um, costume. Primarily an actress. I also direct. Where do you work at? Um, like, where, where, where's your stomping ground? Oh, most, most often it's Woodby Island, but I have done, I did a production of Cloud Nine with Rogue Theatrics uh, okay. a couple years ago, and... It was really great. I was saying that... The so there's, reason, what's, what's the venue on Wood, Woodby there's, Island? There's a couple. There's Island Shakespeare Festival, which happens in the uh, in the summers, and that's in a... And they do only Chekhov, I imagine. Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, Shakespeare. I get it. Okay. Oh, you're... Uh, I'm really bad at sarcasm, and so you were... That was a comedic layup, and I just... <laughs> it just went by me completely. Uh, they, did, they did Three Musketeers this past year. Yeah. And then next year they're doing uh, Julius Caesar, which Corey McDaniel is going to direct. Oh, cool. Who's the artistic director of Theater 22. Uh, Julius Caesar, Jane Eyre, and some American play from early in the 20th century that I can't remember. Like, You Can't Take It With You, but I'm not sure if it is You Can't Take It With You. But they have a huge, like, uh, a custom-built circus tent. Oh, cool. Um, and so they, and that's, they've done so well in terms of, like, just bringing people to the island to come see free because it's all past the hat and so mm-hmm. there's no ticket and then at the end they pass the hat and then the actors split that um, and then there's Woodby Island Center for the Arts which is about a 250 seat venue that has a traditional theater series season but then also has uh, do you Django Fest? Django Reinhardt music? Yeah. Like, Django Fest Northwest happens there oh, and so cool. in September it kind of explodes um, and then there's also um, Outcast Productions which converted a space in an old, like, it has, like, the WPA, like, Works Progress Administration, like, stamp on the building. Yeah. And so they've created, on the back of what used to be a huge stage, a small black box that sees about 60. Oh, cool. And so I, and what's so great, and what people might not necessarily know about Woodby Island, and this is one of the things I want to, again, this is like a love fest for the Libertinis, but at the, uh, Seattle Fringe Festival drawing party, uh, Tootsie was like, well, of course we'll come. We'll come to see Adam's family on Woodby Island. Like, it's not that far, people. But again, that's that generosity of spirit. Yeah, like, man. You go to Brain- Bainbridge to see a show there, like, it's, it all works out. Uh, but, yeah, so I've, I've done... Who, uh, books, who books at that venue? At- at the 60s, 60s here? Because I got a lot of shows that could tour there God, if they is, wanted to. Oh my gosh, yeah, we should... We can't hash this all out in in the hour of the podcast, but yeah, send me a personal email about that. Yeah, and, I will. Um, because it's a source of income for it's in, on the Island County Fairgrounds, and so it's a source of income for them during the year. Great. Whereas I want to help, man. We got people who want to tour. We got people we, suitcase yeah, shows. Yeah, like absolutely. We'll get it done. You heard it here. You heard listeners. it here. Heard some theatrical. <laughs> you heard, you heard the pipeline. The Pacific Northwest <laughs> pipeline has begun. But um, I'm. Part of the reason this is happening is that Brett Love, who's mm-hmm. on your artistic... Is that advisory board or... Artistic board. Artistic board. I, it, uh, I mean, it has... There's no legal standing with it. Right. We're not a nonprofit. That is something that I like putting out there. We're not a nonprofit. We're a quote for... Finger quotes, for-profit company. Right. For co- company. Um, but we're all about doing that kind of stuff. And so I knew that I wanted some oversight. Right. Like, I was like, I want more input. I can't just be me. I don't know everyone, right? Yeah. Like, I need to... So I just bring in people, and we meet monthly, and we talk about shows, yeah. which is awesome. It's a so cool thing to do. Brett was listening to the podcast, and he's such a great patron of the Seattle arts scene, um, and he sent me an email. He's like, you know who would be great? Clayton would be great. Oh, Here's his email. Brett. You should talk to him. And so I was like, sure, that's cool. Let's make it happen. But... Um, P.S. everybody, if you don't know, Brett Love is the person who sees more shows than I I would I would venture maybe anyone alive. Like he might be he's already like 200 some shows this year. Right. Uh, he gets around 300 every yeah. year. Um and I the only other I, I could I know he's the guy who sees the most in Seattle. 
Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. The only other person that, uh, the other way I could imagine there's a person who, in the world who sees more than him is if someone in New York, Chicago, or LA, right. you know, or London, like, there's a Brett over there, you know, that they could possibly see more. Counterpart. Yeah. But anyway, he's just a great yeah. guy. If you ever see, he's like this weird biker dude. He's like, he's a delightful human being, but he looks like tough biker guy. He rides a motorcycle, which is awesome. Uh, and he'll show up to a show and he'll be like, how did this guy hear about this show? He's like so tough looking. <laughs> <laughs> and then you talk to him and he's a sweetheart. So he's yeah, like, and so I sat down with him at the, again, the Seattle fringe lottery drawing. Um, and he was just talking to Seattle through, fringe. <laughs> go see Seattle fringe people. He was talking me through the whole process at pocket. And so that was, um, that was a really cool experience to have that conversation with him right before my show didn't get picked. Cause that was like, Oh, well, that's, that's okay, because now I can still continue, because I want to get into, I've written some short plays, but I want to challenge myself to write one-acts and full-length plays, and I have a friend, uh, Jennifer Warwick, who's written a book called Things I Want to Punch in the Face, which are all comedic essays, ranked from one to five fists. Um, <laughs> I mean, things like namaste, celebrity baby names, chai tea drinkers, yoga pants. Yeah. And I was like, I think like there's like a show there and what would it be? And so I'm in the process of adapting it. And once I have a script, I will be sending you another personal email. You should. You should. I'm down. This, my, my, like what I would normally do if we weren't doing the podcast is I would jump in and I'd be like, we're pitching the show right now. We're figuring it out. <laughs> no, not yet. I'm ready. <laughs> you are ready. Um, Put in the date, you know, like that, that does it. Like it, it could be like seven, eight months out, but once you get that date, that causes you to work, right? Like, up that's against the deadline, yeah. So I think, uh, I, I'm a knitter. You knitter. I'm, uh, <laughs> I am a comedy nerd. I love, uh, SNL. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that, as a little kid, I was a little kid. You should come see some, if you, if you want to see some really good sketch comedy. Yes. This Friday. At 8.30 at the pocket, Part Plant is doing their show called Part Plant Presents, PBS Presents Part Plant. Um, and uh, they are real good. Like, I saw their show last week, and so they have a, they have a two-show run because they're newer. Uh, but it's real good. You should see. I know this won't be out in time for the viewers here, but you should, you should go check okay. it out. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll check my... I don't have a Google Calendar. I write it all down. I don't trust having an online calendar. I don't know why. I don't like, know. I just, like, I want to... You want to have it. Hold it. You're, you're, you're a meat space person. I hope... Is that... I, that's the overview. Katie Woodzik from Wisconsin, originally. <laughs> what part? Uh, Madison. Madison, Madison Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Nice. Uh, went to college in Iowa. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I came out here about eight years to do eight years ago to do AmeriCorps, and I have loved it, and I have stayed ever since. Yeah, so uh, the winters nicer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the summers, everything's nicer weather-wise. Yeah. You get like three days that are like not uncomfortable in the Midwest a year, and no, that's. I got a question <laughs> for you. I got a question for you. Yes. Because uh, I'm I'm a transplant as well, Pacific Northwest. Right. Uh, what is how, what do you notice about people up here that's different from where you come from? Because <clears throat> I got my really, own things, you know. Like. <clears throat> that's a really good question. Um, I sound so mean, but like overall, I would say that people people aren't necessarily as nice as the Midwest. Like they're a mm. lot more brusque. Yeah, I find. Um, like Seattle, Seattle chill. Yeah, yeah, I do find that to be the case a little bit. Um, what else in terms of? Um, I would say just. I mean, people are they, they. But but by the same token, those same people care more about the causes they're really passionate yeah. about and uh, want I, to educate others. I, f- I feel like people people here. This is different than than Colorado. Uh, people here. Uh, care they like save their caring for specific things and then they yes. don't care about other things right yes. like they intentionally do not care whereas in Colorado it's like I'll care about whatever's around you know? 
<laughs> you know, like, like, I guess I'll care a little about a whole, like, whatever's near me, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, like, people in Colorado are generally like, hey, dude, how's it going? And they use the word dude. Um, my girlfriend's also from Colorado, so we wind up using the word dude a lot. Yeah. Um, but they tend to be kind of, like, uh, more, like, like you, you find them more kind of affable, friendly, a- amiable from the get-go. Yeah. But it tends to kind of stay at about that level constantly. Whereas here, like, you meet a person, they, they, like, have trouble, like, looking you in the eye when they yeah. first meet you. Yeah. But then by the time, like, after you get them, then they're, like, a friend who's like, I would die for you. <laughs> like, I, I will literally cut off my finger for you. Like, <laughs> um, it's like, we will tattoo together, right. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's been my experience in Seattle. And I absolutely adore that. Because I was kind of like that already in Colorado, so I didn't fit in very much. Yeah. But now I'm out here and I'm like, oh yeah, my people, my people, I see you across the room. We've met once before. We will ignore each other. That is okay. <laughs> I have work to do, you know, that kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's an interesting, the, the, uh, the social landscape is, it's hard to, I mean, I think about that, that sarcasm moment earlier that I completely missed. Mm-hmm. I think in the Midwest, in general, people are a lot more trusting um, mm-hmm. and open. And so it's, it's a little bit of a... A little bit of a transition to be in a place where you have to sort of people are more guarded and you but once you earn their trust like you have them for life yeah yeah and so it's sort of flipping that on its head a little bit but i think i've navigated it okay <laughs> yeah you're doing great you're a delightful person katie would say Thank you you're delightful i'm gonna like I won't get that tattooed, but I might put it on a You're a delightful somewhere. person, Katie. What's it? You're delightful. It's like, why did you say you're delightful twice on one tattoo? It's a very specific quote. Double delightful. Well. <laughs> I was about to say. I'm just going to say. I was say? about to say, your new nickname is Double D Woodzik, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is not. It's amazing. I'll take it. Sketch comedy, um, everybody. My, my, funnily enough, uh, my nickname in college was Boobula. So Boobula. There you go. Uh, Boobula. Kind of sounds, um, it sounds uh, either <laughs> Yiddish or like Eastern European. It's like bubble, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah. a grandmother or something? Yeah, yeah. Babushka would be Russian. I'm, I've got Russian descent. Okay. I you say Babushka, but I think Bubula is a movie th- that you should check out Babushkas of Chernobyl. Babushkas of Chernobyl, the grandmothers of oh, because they're is, the people who stayed back. Stayed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Holly Morris, who's a Hedgebrook alum, shout mm-hmm. out to my day job. Um, uh, did so. There, there, there are these women who came back into the dead zone after Chernobyl happened. They mm-hmm. snuck back in, and then the government kept trying to kick them out. And then they snuck, and finally they're like, yeah, they're old enough. Whatever. We don't can. care. We don't need their labor. <laughs> and so they just, I mean, like they. They have chickens and, you know, sustain themselves by having small gardens and and whatnot. And um, largely, I mean, like, they're partially radioactive, but they're fine. Mm. And they're in really, they're hilarious. And so I went to this screening at SIF, sort of like, okay, this is going to be, like, heavy hitting. Heavy, yeah. They're so funny. Well, it was uh, goodbye, goodbye brain, see you tomorrow, was a (laughs) toast that they gave when they're... um, Drinking moonshine and, and things of that nature, but <laughs> which they obviously um, made for themselves. Yeah, it's so. Russians I don't know are how intense. we got. I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we did. Um, but yeah, everyone, go check out the babushkas of Chernobyl. It's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. Hilarious, and what the what one of the uh, government officials was saying that the people who actually got relocated. Most of them have passed away, and it was like the poignant moment was like, simply put, they died of anguish because they, they left their home, right? And so the people, even though they were exposed to more radiation, they got to do it at home on their own terms, and so they were happier and have lived longer. Interesting. Yeah. What a delightful! I will check that out. Thank there you. There you go. Katie. Yeah, I. Uh, we Chernobyl. Uh, I think we've covered it. I mean, we've gotten we, to Chernobyl. We've, do, we've talked so about like a lot today. All <laughs> once we've talked about like the biggest nuclear disaster ever. Did I say that word all right? I no, think I did. Is no. it wrong? You Tell me nuclear. how to say it right. New, how do I say it right? New, new, clear, clear, nuclear, nuclear. There you go. Yeah, I, I <laughs> phys, physics major, dealt with some nuclei in my day, so. Uh, there was a point where I took a a quantum physics class in my life, and Why? now 
and now I help people put glitter on. You know, like, <laughs> like this is. This I think is, that should be from quantum physics to glitter. The Clayton Weller story tonight. It makes on sense. So we wanted up Chernobyl because yes. of my physics degree. Thank you. Bam. That's good. That's great. Bam. Living it up. You are delightful as You're well. You're delightful. I'm pointing at you, which is maybe pew. rude, but... I'm going to make pew noises every time you point at me. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> go, uh, go... <laughs> I'm not pointing now. I'm just making... They this. won't know. Anyway, uh, I'll let you end this. <laughs> go check out thepocket.org. Thepocket.org. there's also classes as well as Yeah, I'm teaching a sketch comedy class that starts next week, so you won't be able to jump on it, but I do that on the regulars. Yeah, so... Go like them on Facebook. Go see the November Fringe Explosion. Um, I think that's... Do you want, why don't you take us out with a, a line from one of your favorite comedic movies? Let's end on that. Uh, oh. Um, Make it good. Make uh, it count. Oh. Uh, this is from Mouse Hunt. Okay. Uh, Excellent choice. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan Lane. Um, uh, it's Cheese. And it's string. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we will end the podcast. Thank you, Clayton, for being a guest. This has been amazing. (laughs) This has been a very good interview.